0: When it comes to the culture, this is absolutely what I want, 100%. We are seeing an, a, a growing amount of, of, of people attending these events, and we're seeing it. Woodland Batality was a great exception to this. People from all walks of life across the board. Uh, you know, as long as people there aren't looking to harm others with their philosophy, they're welcome. And we see people that you would not expect sitting there, having a good time, laughing with one another, uh, encouraging each other to shoot well at the match, and everyone, and, and everyone is welcoming there to everyone that's there. And everyone is having a lovely time, regardless of some of the things that separate us on the Internet. And the real world is when we get out there and shoot together and have that shared trauma of the caserta drill, you know what you're doing. You're making friends and community. And that's exactly what I hope for this to be.
1: <laughs>
2: hey, Woodland Brutality. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: Welcome guys to the A Better Way to a podcast with Jordan and Andrew as your hosts and today we have Russell Fagan and Carl Casarda. Yep. From In Range and it. Sinistral Rifleman, uh inversely respectively. Um <laughs> thank you guys for coming on and uh we are going to talk about Woodland Brutality, how awesome it was and super excited i'm like my wheels spinning and and just jazzed to talk about this because it was an amazing experience and can't wait for everybody else to hear about it jordan we're glad you made it and andrew you have to come in the future
2: i'm going to um i just again i i cannot stress to you enough how fucked up my schedule is right now with a with a toddler and a newborn um we already have the dates for woodland 2024 just put them on your calendar now i will I will. I think the um, and I will endeavor not to have another child next year, so that I can I more easily uh, <laughs> hang out with my friends. I think the. I'll wait till tw- I'll wait till twenty twenty five to have another kid.
4: I think the first thing we need to address is that I had to bully Jordan into actually shooting the match.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was he peer pressured me hard, and 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 I was not about to be the person to say no to uh, to to someone like Russell telling me to compete, especially with his gear.
2: Yeah, well, it's like you're already, like, going, and then he's like, here, have some free gear. Like, well, not that you don't have it, but, like, rent this for free, you know? So, it's like, at that point, the only thing stopping you was your crippling anxiety of uh, performing in front of people. (laughs)
3: Which, to be fair, was pretty, I was in bed with my wife as we were messaging each other on Instagram, and I was like, babe, he's, he's, he's telling me that I could use his gear. He's telling me I could stay with him. How do I say no to this? Like, I can't say no to this. I have to well, shit, now I have the whole week to, to stress about this
1: because I've never uh, competed before. You know,
0: see, that's funny,
3: because this touch, let
0: <laughs> me hit this and I'll hit your finger. This is one of the things that touches on one of the reasons competition is truly valuable if you see this as an important martial or life skill or just want to build skill, because just the fact of going up in front of other people watching you shoot is another, is a form of stress inoculation. Like, people are like, this isn't combat. There's no bullets in your direction. I got it, got it, got it. But then... But but being good and fast and accurate on the clock is a skill in, which is part of such a thing. And just being able to be in front of people doing that and overcoming that, like, basic, oh, my gosh, I don't want to see people like see me screw up thing is, like, in and of itself, stress inoculation. That's what this is all about in regards to the practical side of it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, 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 mean, I wanted to remove any excuse you had to uh, to not shoot uh, because if you're, like, like Andrew said, if you're showing up, you might as well do it. Um, and one thing's in our for in sure. our community, if you're like on our Discord, is if people are missing gear, they don't have the right holster, don't have the right handgun, they don't have a you know the right optic or whatever. There's always someone that's willing to squat up with them and share equipment.
0: Yeah, I'm not recommending this, but I think that the, our community is so freaking awesome that if you showed up and said my bad, didn't make it here because the plane carrying it went to the wrong place, you'd probably have more gear than you needed to just given to you to shoot for that day than you'd even
3: ask for. Oh, I don't doubt it at all. I was like, that was one of the first things that I was impressed by among the list of things was how willing people were to one approach you, talk to you, like ask what's up and introduce themselves. But like just the, the, I have no doubt that if I was like, Hey guys, like I realized I just met you yesterday or today, but uh, I'm missing X, Y, and Z. Could I use it? I have no doubt that you'd have plenty to choose from. So that, that is, that is, uh, Something that that was great as like a first impression to competitive shooting that it wasn't this um, weird, like intimidating ego challenge that that I think a lot of people make it out to be in their head.
0: And the other thing I can guarantee is that if you borrowed all your gear from someone else and then you beat them in the scores, they would just think (laughs) that was cool. Literally, like, that's how our
3: vibe is. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I made that happen for you, bud. We did this together. We're a team.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To be fair, I I was I have plenty of people that I didn't beat out, but wow, it was, that's uh, how that works. Yeah, it was a lot of fun.
2: Well, so you pl- you didn't you've never competed at all before this? Like you've never done even like IDPA or anything like that?
3: No, I did a twenty two plate shoot once, uh, probably like eight or nine years ago. That was like I used somebody else's rifle, and it was like six plates, and it was just for time. Um, that was that was my my extent of competitive shooting.
0: Well, you did very well. I mean, you placed reasonably, and you didn't DQ, when you handled all of situations perfectly.
3: That was my main goal: like, don't DQ, don't flag anybody, yeah. don't do anything oh, yeah. stupid. And you know, thankfully, I've I've got enough uh, competency to know basic rifle safety, uh, handling rules, and 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 not get DQ'd like that. But it is, you know, I I could definitely see it happening. It didn't happen. I don't think to anybody because I saw on the the leaderboard nobody got. No, uh,
4: We had one DQ. Um, which, oh, okay. is, which is well below the average for a, a major event like this with 186 competitors up to a, up to yeah. a 5% DQ rate at a major event is pretty normal. And here we have like less than one. Yeah, that's almost, pretty awesome.
2: Almost all the DQs I've ever seen doing IDPA have been uh, somebody just goofed and pointed the gun in the wrong direction. Um, I think one time it was uh, it was an older guy and he dropped his gun. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's some variation of pointing your gun in the wrong direction.
0: The vast majority of ours are people who underestimate the amount of retention required for their pistol holster.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Which is why, by the way, you see a lot, uh, I don't know if you noticed, Jordan, a lot of UM-84 US Priyanki flat holsters, because those fit almost every service pistol, mostly, and I've been promoting them for like two-gun and brutality matches for years, because our match isn't about raw draw speed, it's about other things and keeping your gun out of the dirt and also having good retention while not being too expensive, the UM UM-84 is is really is an exceptional piece of kit.
2: I'm looking that up right now.
3: I think I saw one or two of them and I was like, huh, that's not something that I would imagine seeing, but it made sense. I did see a lot of like active retention holsters. Oh yeah, totally, but if you start
0: poking around, you'll notice like now that I've mentioned it, you look around, you're gonna see a lot of UM UM-84s floating around and that's that's because they just work. Like they just are good for
2: this. Well, it's if you have a bunch of different pistols you want to shoot with, it's probably cheaper than getting a Kydex one for every single pistol. Yeah,
0: yeah. And now there's that omnivore thing, which both Fagan and I use, and it's it's okay. I mean it does the job, but like it depends on what you're doing.
4: So Jordan, let me ask you this. As someone who hasn't competed before, how accessible was our stage format to understand and successfully make it through?
3: I thought it was great. Um there was I would say right in the beginning where I was just trying to figure out where everything was and, um, you know, get to it, uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm trying to like play it out in my head. The map definitely helped that Allie put together, (laughs) Um, but like the actual explanation of the stages was fantastic. The ROs did a great job of explaining what, and that was one of my concerns was like, oh man, they're going to explain it once and I'm just going to have to go with it and hope I don't mess up. And all my mistakes were purely on me. They weren't anything to do with how, how the ROs explained the stages. They did a great job. And I, I felt very confident going into it that I knew what to do. And um, it was, it was uh, a relief because I thought, you know, way more of it was going to be on me and, and, and to figure it out. And, um, yeah, I thought, I thought they did a really good job with that. And the stages themselves were super interesting and, and fun.
0: Well, one thing you can do is once the RO gives you a stage description, just don't be the first shooter unless you have to be. So, like, especially yeah. if you're new, if you just say, hey, I'm new to this, the RO's like, okay, fine, just what, you let me know. And then you can just watch, like, the other eight people in your squad or whatever do it, and then you'll have an idea, of not only maybe best strategy in air quotes, but also you'll just know the stage more intrinsically well anyway.
3: For sure.
4: Yeah, and un- unlike a lot of other action shooting formats, our stages are very linear, so it's not like you have to remember where all the targets are it's doing things in sequence until you're finished usually. And unlike other events, we also allow coaching, whether from your squad or from the RO to get you back on track. If you're doing something out of sequence or, or wrong.
3: Yeah. And, uh, Oh man, I'm, I literally, Greg helped me out big time because on stage six, the, the sniper special ops, when I told him I was going to run down to the 200 yard target line and then immediately, forgot and and just ran to the closest the closest uh, kettlebell and he's going you're running You're. I thought you were going down range and I went Oh fuck and then I didn't hear it at the time but because uh, I had my ear pro on but my whole squad you just hear laughter in the background like this is this guy <laughs> it's really it's actually kind of a funny video and then I'd have the most awkward and slow run down to the 200 yard line that I've ever seen on film before. What? But uh, And you were, shoot- you were shooting was, PCC
4: yeah. division too, so making the hits at 400 was not an option for you. You needed to run down that 200 yards. So for
0: the audience listening, this stage yeah. had targets either at 400 or 200 yards, and you could either engage from either position you had to choose. So like if you had a battle rifle, which I did, or, or 556, you would probably go to 400 and get your hits. But if you had a PCC or just didn't feel that capable with your 400-yard skills, you could run 200 yards down this like somewhat muddy grass field, reduce the distance in half and engage from there. But that actually takes a lot of time to get down there. It doesn't sound like a lot. Also, Jordan, we hear this all the time. Unless you're like, like an athlete athlete, running on camera always looks bad. And for years, I, just, <laughs> I, I, I never get anything but comments about how dumb I look running, which is not false. I do look dumb running. But like running looks particularly bad on camera. It always does. I don't know why.
3: I'm glad. I think a lot of it has to do with the angle. I have to uh I don't know what it is. Maybe we should uh we should ask Lucas Bodkin what he does besides speed up his videos uh to look good on video <laughs> running. Mm, I,
0: don't, I don't know. But like the the other the other thing about that too is that um these are like this is not a pristine environment. Like it's mud and dirt and grass. And you've also just shot five stages and you're worn out. And like all that applies, right? Like, so like quite sure. frankly, by the end of the match, when I got to the last stage, which was the casarta drill, I, I walked, I threw the kettlebell, walked up to the next position, got down prone shot, stood up, walked. I'm like, I'm just done. I knew where I was at. Yeah.
2: How do y'all's, uh, just a point of curiosity. Um, with all that running and all that mud and uneven terrain, how do y'all's feet feel after uh, one of these competitions?
4: Never noticed that to be a problem, actually, Megan. I, I've nice. never noticed my feet to be a problem. Um, I, I feel like I have a little bit of an advantage over the softer terrain because I, I have size 14 shoes. So it like s- spreads yeah. out that PSI on the ground a little bit better. <laughs> like a tank. Yeah, truck. Um uh, usually by the end of the match, so what actually gets me the most sore is if there's a lot of bending over and resetting targets. Um, we don't really have a lot of reset at our matches, so that's not really a factor, but in action matches in general, I get the most worn out when there's like a dozen steel targets on a stage. You gotta be picked up and reset every time. Um, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. That's one of the principles, Jordan, says you haven't tried competition before this one, like one of you can't really have this contrast in your mind, but there's a lot of other environments and other state other shooting disciplines where you, you and then this isn't a dig, it just is. You spend really 80% of your day resetting the stage. Either it's tape, tape, taping, uh, taping up paper or setting up steel targets or whatever the reset yeah. is required. And our stage designs in brutality events are really designed mostly to require almost new re- no reset, which means static steel or, were particularly malicious and the shooter lands up resetting the stage for the next shooter as part of the like human tricks in the
1: stage.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And the only one that really had, you know, like a, like reset was the, the pistol stage. And with that, you know, there was your whole squad was going out and helping you reset it to, to keep things moving. And I didn't, I didn't see any issue with that. Sure. Absolutely. Pretty quickly. Yeah, that was uh, I, I wore Ultima shoes, Ultima, like low tops for the weekend. And I probably wouldn't wear those again uh, next year, only because they, they're comfortable shoes, and I do a lot in them, yeah. but they lack a little bit of tread, and I was noticing the tops of my feet by the end of the weekend. And I was there, you know, it was it was like three days, but um, we're starting to get a little, little uncomfortable, but not bad even, you know.
2: I've, I found Altamas difficult for long walk. You know, I, I wore them to to New York. The same Altama low tops. Uh, I wore them to New York, and you know, there's miles of walking every day, and they didn't fare very well. They fell apart pretty quickly. Um, but I think I think that's just like not the kind of thing they're for. I think I think they're for like if you step in a puddle, the water drains out of them real fast. Bro, they're for uh, SEAL
3: teams, so, so that, they can right? go from fins to sneakers super quick. Oh, yeah. I gotta,
2: I gotta get my footwear sorted out. I I got a real weird shoe size, so it's hard to find shoes that like fit right. Um, and that's my main, if I'm being honest, that's my main uh, fixation about about gear. Um, thinking about brutality is is getting the right kind of shoe that's not gonna fuck up on me.
4: Mm. Uh, I do recommend well, using something with ankle support. Um, just given all the uneven terrain, you'll you'll save yourself from rolling an ankle.
0: Yeah, one of the few prohibitions we had from a safety perspective in terms of gear was shoe related. Um we have prohibited the use of high heel stilettos. Um uh,
1: <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't was it football. wasn't
0: because it wasn't because like I had a particular issue with that, but we were watching one of the shooters in uh they were cosplaying as 2B, the anime character, and as they were running up and down rain, um the ankles were twisting so disturbingly that I was like we're about one millimeter away from an ankle break here, so after that, no more high heel
3: stilettos.
2: But like, yeah,
3: that was just a safety concern. Yeah, you know, that was it. But yeah, 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 for sure. That, that's that's just like a realistic uh, restriction to put on things. It's like no open toed shoes.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, that we did have that too. Another time, one year, we had or one or two years, we had someone playing as a, the what's his face from Die Hard, John and they reclaimed. came out with just their feet like wrapped, yes. yeah, wrapped in bandages, which is cool. But don't just come out in bare feet at the range, right? Who knows? That place is just a disaster. <laughs> Sharp rocks, yeah. brass, who knows what.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Essentially, so, if you wouldn't walk down an alley in a major city with bare feet, don't do it at the
3: range, right? It's stupid. Yeah, that's pretty just like, that's, that's like good, good advice to take with you. Yeah, because you, you will
0: find the one used syringe, range, right? You just
3: will. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why is this here?
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> you found say- it. It's sticking out of the top of your foot now. Right.
2: Um, And did you guys, did you guys have any like technical problems or have you by now pretty well sorted that kind of thing out?
4: uh, Every year we get more efficient at running these things. And uh, as match director, this event had the least for me to do while the match was in process uh, because everything just ran as it was supposed to Uh, in particular, something that worked out well for us at this one was our variable hits based on caliber. Last year, I knew which squad had all the battle rifles on it because it was like three 308s and a 30-06. And every stage they went to, it was like, uh, you know, range repair to stage four, range repair to stage five. Uh, They were just breaking bolts on targets constantly. So this year we did a scoring metric where targets under 100 yards, battle rifles only had to hit once, assault rifles had to hit twice, and PCCs had to hit three times. Which I think is also a fairly realistic representation of energy delivered to the target, and uh, that it, makes sense. It's and uh, we had significantly less target breakages than when people with battle rifles still had to double tap targets.
1: The added benefit of
0: that too is that it allows you to use more historical gear. So, like in the like before, we went to this scoring metric. Let's say the stage had five targets that you had to double tap each, and we didn't differentiate between what kind of firearm you're using it made using an m1 gear sort of not fun right because like how many end block clips can i reload at once um and so by changing that to one hit then now old historic stuff like an m1 or whatever is much more viable and fun to use so it has a double benefit
3: jordan you're muted yeah i realized that after i said that i said that makes sense
4: the the only other (laughs) thing that we had to tweak uh for this event is we had planned on doing a flare stage at night and unfortunately the flares themselves were just too inconsistent to make that happen. Uh, um, yeah. the, we had, and they weren't failing the same way that sometimes the shoots didn't open. Sometimes they didn't ignite. Uh, and sometimes the trajectory was like completely wild. Uh, so between all those things it, it, it wasn't going to be a consistent enough experience, uh, for the competitors. And we didn't have enough flares if they kept failing that way to, to do, to do yeah. reshoots. So we had to go to a, um, uh, stage design where you either used your own illumination or the, the truck lights came on for a par time. And it was however many hits you made in sequence during that par time, uh, which, you know, shooting with, uh, you know, offset lights and shadows at night is still challenging out to, you know, 150 yards like we were shooting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've actually, got other ideas on that too, Fagan. So like, so if you watch the, the, the current video up on in range TV right now is my woodland brutality video, and you can see the night stage. And you can see me because i was testing it trying to shoot under a flare and also shooting under the truck light and uh, the flare shooting was cool but like you said once after multiple parachute failures and we had just had rain so this was safe in air quotes but Uh, After one parachute failure, the flare literally landed and just burned itself out in a pine tree. I was like, yeah, we're done. No, we're not doing this. And so, um, (laughs) um, but like in the future, get invited back. Yeah, yeah, no, let's not do that. It was fine because it really had literally just rained. But regardless, if that had been Arizona, like Arizona and New Mexico would have been gone. Um, And um, so... Um, but I think like other things we can do in the future is with that is I think I want to bring out like a spotlight and have it sweep left and right. And what that does is really weird. If you've ever shot under changing light conditions, targets appear like they're moving and it's very cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's
2: such a cool idea though. The flare thing.
0: Yeah. It was I a cool that, idea. I wish I be fun would in a training environment under very controlled conditions where it's like. Well, we had 50 flares and we had 53 shooters. Sorry, Bobby, you don't get to do that today. But that's not how a match works, right? So it, it wasn't Yeah, with,
4: with with 180-something shooters, you have to have things function on schedule within about 10% or it's not going to get done and you end up throwing out stages. So, so consistency and repeatability are one of the main things we go for in stage design uh, to keep, things on schedule and keep it a consistent experience for shooters. Um, If things don't work out consistently, it's one of the the biggest things that can turn people off to your event. If they feel that someone else had a different match experience than they did, particularly if it gave them a competitive advantage.
0: That said, keep in mind, nothing is ever, there is no such thing as a 100% consistent match. It is impossible. So, that's where we considered fair and decided against it became a slogan for both two gun and brutality because it's just impossible to have like fair is a cool thing to see or seek but never completely achievable like justice and freedom right but, but um, there's th- there's things in
4: our control and there's things outside of our control like the last day of the match torrential rains happened while people were shooting at four hundred yards nothing we can do about that uh, dealing with uh, practical environmental conditions is. You know part of practical shooting so you got to be ready to deal with changing weather and you know i'm sure some people's scores suffered on that stage but there is no option to reshoot it under better weather conditions
0: so what's neat about that though is that if you come to these with the right mindset which the people that come to fatality matches do when it was raining on that 400 yard stage i heard about one of the shooters who was using an m1 Garrett. and after caught firing a couple rounds which they made their hits at 400 initially the rain and that environment caused steam to come off the barrel and the hand guards and they couldn't see through the sights. And so, yeah, that sucks for your score, but actually this is really cool because interestingly, you now know what was happening to some of our guys like in the forest, um, you know, fighting the Germans during the, during the offensive. Like they, they, they had that probably happen to them and you just got a real, you just got an actual historical experience out at, at a match and you never experience like that oh, unless you try to do it. And that's cool. Yeah. That yeah, that dude yeah. dressed
3: as in in full there were uh two guys whose cosplay I mean there was plenty of awesome cosplay there, but two guys who I was really impressed with the the Vietnam cosplayer mm-hmm. and the World War two cosplayer like all it looked super period accurate, really cool stuff, and they were just they were competing in it like really holding their own oh totally,
0: so I mean, but like like having that experience with the rain, I could just think of like one of our one of the you know an American soldier in a fighting hole the battle of a bulge cursing at the fact that there's steam coming off his gun and he can't see through his sights. Like, no, but you don't ever see, like, you don't see that in a movie. You don't even really, you might read about that in a historical like memoir, but when you're out there shooting, there's a little things like that come out and you're like, Oh, that's fascinating. And I, that's one of the things I do love about this.
2: Oh, in like movies or TV shows, they're only shooting like a few blanks at a time. So they would never even get the barrel hot enough to, to like have like real practical steam coming off of it. So you'd have to have somebody, somebody would have to write that into the script. The director would have to be like, okay, that's a good detail to keep, you know, and they, there's like a hundred people involved. And so even if that was something that you wanted to do in fiction, it's such a small detail that, that like at any stage of the process, they'd be like, no, nah, it's not that important. Just skip it. Yeah, it's true.
0: But 99% of the time people writing movies that include firearms don't know jack or shit about guns. Yeah. So like, that's another Very problem. True, right? Yeah. yeah
2: so when you guys do have technical problems like that like the the flare thing like do you figure it out pretty quick or is there you know I mean, how, we figured how much time that out what waste about
4: 20 minutes before... carl and then reshot the whole staff yeah, that's...
0: that's why we have a staff match before the main event so our we we, we literally spend i don't want to exaggerate here but like not a year but a good part of a year each one of these events is like a year in the planning really honestly like we're already starting to plan 2024's uh, Woodland Brutality and, uh, and Midnight Brutality. We'll talk about that later. It's already in the works. We're already working on it. But like uh, stage design principles get written. Like we want stages to be this and so we kind of want this idea. And then we execute it by trying to build that concept on the range. And then the first day of shooting is staff. So that's all the ROs, me, Fagan, some guests. And um, it is not advantageous. In fact, it's disadvantageous because you land up shooting some of the stages in different iterations. Three or four times till we get it right so that it works for the match. And so imagine some of these stages, you're not, you're worn out after the first time doing it, and then you do it four times. So, like ROs and staff get to experience things like, hey, we tried out flares and it didn't work, but it does not help your score. But that's also how we make the stages run well for the main event.
4: I mean, I remember one year I shot the Casarta drill like three times because we had too much other stuff going on on it on the same stage. So, and you were big man. Yeah, I was, I was not happy by the end of that, <laughs> but you didn't oh, have food no. poisoning. No, I did not have this, food poisoning that
3: time.
0: How was I'm telling you, you went to Cracker Barrel and someone in the back looked out and they're like, Oh, I see a cop. And then they put something in your food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what they put in his food
2: though, to give him food poisoning. Mm. We can't, we like- can't
3: talk shit about Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel is, 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 is a, uh, is a special place that it's. Cracker
2: Barrel kicked me out for carrying a, for open carrying a gun on my way to the range.
4: Well, I'm Arizona.
2: I, I got kicked uh, out.
4: For for those that don't know, on day one of my drive out to West Virginia for Woodland Brutality, I stopped at Cracker Barrel for dinner and uh I often eat a Cracker Barrel on the road because it's consistent quality food regardless of where you stop. And quality in food. yeah, codes. and uh you know what you're getting <laughs> is my point, right? And, uh, well, th- this time I got food poisoning, and uh, it basically took me the whole <laughs> week to recover. I didn't actually f- fully feel better until I was back in Arizona. And uh, even with taking antibiotics, I, and the other is my last stage of the match. I was still having stomach cramps and weakness during that stage that um, significantly slowed me down versus what I normally do on it.
0: That'll teach you to undermine our Red Lobster sponsorship.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Next year's the year.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised mm. to find out if, uh, like, Red Lobster and Cracker Barrel were owned by the same mega conglomerate.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. It's all just Bezos. You got, you got, you got your, <laughs> Bezos you got your Cracker Barrel sent by Amazon Prime yeah. just as late. Yeah, exactly.
2: I do like about Cracker Barrel is that. Uh, when we would when we would go on road trips in the bus in the, because we bought a, I, we bought a shuttle bus and put a bed frame in the back and we traveled in that for a while. Um, they have RV parking spots. Uh, and so you can, you can, they're real easy to pull through. You don't have to like shimmy in and out of tiny parking spaces. You just pull up in the back. You can, uh, order it for takeout and, and we would eat on the bus and you know, it was very nice. Never got food poisoning though. Um, you know,
0: God bless. I, just the fact that you can drive up a car the size of a house and then have Cracker Barrel deliver to it is yep. so American. Yep. It's unbelievable. Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> that's that highway life, man. Oh no,
0: we just lost oh,
2: awesome. Russell. RIP. I, P. I, I think hope you I didn't just, have just flashbacks to the uh, to the <laughs> Press Half in the chat. poisoning. <laughs> I was telling him before you guys started before we started recording, I was telling him that one of the things that bothers me the most about food poisoning, they said I know I know how you get food poisoning, and it's somebody took a shit, didn't wash their hands, and then touched my food.
0: That's not that's 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 definitely one of the more common mechanisms, but there's other ways too. Like improper handling of chicken and salmonella isn't that right? Yeah, true facts. So
2: there's a restaurant here in town. It's a it's a, a Mediterranean restaurant. They've been in trouble. The same location got in trouble like six times in as many years uh, for salmonella outbreaks because they kept putting raw chicken on a cutting board and then putting finished food on the cutting board and then serving yep. it.
4: Yeah. see, No bueno. Big big lobster interfered with my um, <laughs> signal here. Crustacean cord at the
2: end, I tell you. They got you, man. They got you dialed in.
0: You better move. Have you had a Cheddar Bay Biscuit? If you have, you know what we're talking about. Let me just take a moment here to to mention our sponsor, Red Lobster, who brings the finest in American exceptionalism to American dining. You really can't go to any other restaurant that will give you the American experience of quality seafood like Red Lobster.
2: I think you should have stopped it. You really can't go to any other restaurant.
0: Well, that's the future we all want, yeah. right? That's what leftists want. Someday you'll have no choice. Yeah. You will eat red lobster, but we're not there yet, right? That's what red comes from, right? Red scarves, red
3: lobster. That's it right. all comes together. We're gonna have red you know? lobster, communist country towns, or uh, company towns.
2: That's right.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only other option will be will be um, will be uh, the uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking Golden Corral, where you could go across the street and you know it, it, experiment with your luck with the chocolate fondue fountain. Oh
1: no! <laughs> I would
2: never, I would never dip into a public fondue fountain. That seems
1: insane <laughs> to
2: me. <laughs> I public... you thought you'd say public fondue fountain
3: <laughs> on Public like fondue fountain. <laughs> no, that's amazing.
2: You know, I saw, uh, <laughs> I saw a giant boxes of cheddar bay biscuits frozen cheddar bay biscuits at costco recently damn
0: that's right there you know see now that's where you're getting into the dilaudid of american food experiences it's like <laughs> you know we had opium then we got heroin now we got dilaudid cheddar bay biscuits frozen at costco in bulk that's the dilaudid
4: of american food it's so much cheaper right, to produce. i think we need to distribute those at the next brutality match carl
0: oh i I have long wanted to have a like, uh, food distribution. <laughs> we need to schedule it, though, so that the feed, the feeding happens just before the casserole.
4: The, the feeding. You have, you have to eat a Cheddar Bay biscuit and <laughs> not drink any water. No, guys, guys, guys. Can, guys just have a get trough the,
3: of, of Cheddar Bay biscuits no, no. and just have people come up Ooh, on all fours. We
2: could have. Whoa, oh, my gosh. We could have bobbin for biscuits instead <laughs> of apples. Oh, wait, guys, 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 guys. Leave In them water? frozen. Get the frozen ones put them in the water, have them bob for it, and then if it's still frozen by the time you get it, you just tuck it in your pocket or under your armpit, do your stage, and it should be warm enough to eat by the time you're done.
3: And Yeah,
0: would you like my Cheddar Bay Biscuit? It's warm because I kept it in my pocket.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's how you get sponsorships. I can't imagine that Red Lobster won't actually sponsor you guys now.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, they do. They're wonderful. Red Lobster's been amazing
3: to us. Say no (laughs) such thing. Of course, of course. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. That's awesome. So <laughs> Carl, I have to ask, well, both of you. Um just just to stay on topic here because this is this is this is exactly how our episodes tend to go. Um yeah,
2: I got more red lobster bits if you guys want to, but you know, let's I, yeah, get back to the brutality. I've, so
3: I've actually never been to a red lobster. Anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. I did not take my ADHD medication <laughs> this <leaving>. morning. <laughs> our for both of you guys. Do you see the brutality matches as kind of how you want, uh, matches to go in general, or or like how you want gun culture to be?
0: Well, I'll I'll answer this first, and then Fagan, you can go to this because I think we're probably going to have similar and different takes at the same time. So, um, I've never one of the things I've always said about when it comes to competitive disciplines, whether it's high power across the course, IEPA, USPSA, Cowboy Pick One, all of those, all of these things well most of them almost all of them have like a good merit to them like there's something there that's a skill building exercise where you can learn to be more proficient and capable with your firearms and you find the ones that apply to you like if you like three position small bore with a 22 like you have at it and you will become excellent at these at the fundamentals of shooting right you will like that's just how that works so all of these things have merit in that regard and uh i'd like to think brutality does too I always wanted this to be an environment where you would do the sorts of things you would do in an actual training class but on the clock and for fun where you could practice those skills in a way that were practical and realistic but also competitive and that's kind of the where i'm trying to bridge the gap when it comes to stage designs when it comes to the culture this is absolutely what i want 100 percent. we are seeing an a, a growing amount of, of people attending these events and we're seeing it. Woodland Bratality was a great exception of this. People from all walks of life across the board. Uh, you know, as long as people there aren't looking to harm others with their philosophy, they're welcome. And we see people that you would not expect sitting there having a good time, laughing with one another, uh, encouraging each other to shoot well at the match. And, everyone, it, and And everyone is welcoming there to everyone that's there. And everyone is having a lovely time, regardless of some of the things that separate us on the Internet. And the real world is when we get out there and shoot together and have that shared trauma of the Casada drill, you know what you're doing? You're making <laughs> friends and community. And that's exactly what I hope for this to be. And like Woodland brutality, 2024 is going to be even longer for days. And like I'm planning and fig and you just have to tolerate me on this. The first night I want to have like a party out there. We're going to have a festival out on that place because yes. this is also community building.
2: Dude. I, I, Hell yes. yes. Desert parties in Arizona. So fucking much. That would be so sweet. What a fucking throwback um,
4: <clears throat> So so for me the the type of stages we're doing is are generally the type of stages I like to shoot the most Um I've been competing for going on 23 years I'm tired of paper memorization stages I'm tired of resetting a ton of targets It's not fun it doesn't really add to the shooting experience for me If you want more challenging shots put the targets farther use smaller static targets uh, but the the re, the reset and having to memorize a ton of stuff on stages uh, to me isn't fun at this point. And it's it's ultimately kind of stressful because um, I've, I've had a, stages where I shot great, but I forgot the target in the corner out of, you know, 32 targets on the stage because uh, I didn't look at it at the right angle. And uh, I'm just kind of tired of that kind of stuff. So the stages we uh run at our matches are generally what i like to shoot the most and we're seeing that um you know, that makes things more accessible to people who don't have a specific match background it's it's way easier for someone of any skill level or training background to show up and, and do our stages and they'll be faster or slower at them but they don't have to stress out about memorizing a bunch of stuff uh, as far as the community aspect of these events i like the Attitude of people attending more than I do at a lot of other major events where people are hyper competitive and it's almost like they're not having a good time because they're so concerned about uh, winning um, and and trying to find every nth degree of advantage they can and when you have too many people that are out at an event to win at all costs, it can really affect the you know vibe and uh how much you can enjoy the particular event and we don't have that it's it's, it's more akin from what i've seen to people who go to like uh you know tough mutter style events and and those kind of things where it's all about just getting through it and surviving for the vast majority of the people there
1: yeah
0: everyone i deal with and this is just the, this is this is the environment we want this to be is people aren't happy when they see someone else not do well. People are happiest when they see other competitors do very well or even beat them because it's fun to watch people succeed and it's happy to see people do better and to watch people grow in their skill set and the community all at once. And so, I mean, the vibe is to cheer people on and one another. And so that is uh, one of the things, I mean, this is one of the few environments where I've ever seen in a competitive shooting environment where people applaud and cheer and laugh and like, they're shooting the stage and their gun breaks and they laugh about it. Right. Like, because like they just learn something and they're, there having fun, but also getting some skills out of it. That's absolutely part of the deal.
4: Yeah. I think part of the thing that allows people to enjoy our event too, is we allow multiple entries in different divisions. Um, so if you want to do a modern run and a, and then I an, like an iron sight run or something like that, a lot of, uh, of our regulars do stuff like that. So they'll have their like, for them, their serious test of their skills, and then they'll have, like, their fun run, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. And then another thing that we do that's intentional is part of stage design is always, not always, there's usually a stage that you sort of don't really ever have completely under your control, meaning, like, you could be the best, baddest, most skilled person on the planet, and that stage still might get you. And, like, so, for example, this year at Woodley Brutality. We had uh, thanks to One Shepherd Training Institute. We had a full set of miles gear and blanks, and we had force on force where you would the squads were split into two, and you would literally put on miles gear, be stripped of any real equipment, of course, and God went out to the forest, and you had 180 seconds with I think it was 15 blanks to shoot at one another and or get their flag. So if you killed your opponent, air quote. You got 30 seconds bonus. If you got the flag under 180 seconds, you got 30 second bonus. And if you got killed, you got a 60 second penalty. Now, there's skill there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not. But at the same time, there's a little bit of like other stuff going on there. And that kind of takes the bite out of being too overly serious about things. One year at Desert Brutality, we had Russian roulette. You didn't have to do it. But if you wanted to, you went over to a table. Um, RRO RO would put one cartridge in a revolver and spin the cylinder, and you just have to fire it downrange at the impact berm. If it didn't go off, you got a bonus. If it went off, you got a penalty. That kind of <laughs> stuff adds to the fun, right?
3: Yeah. I think that's actually that's really fun, and especially for those uh, with, with a gambling problem could, could, seri- could prove to be super interesting.
0: <laughs> but like, the point is, like, the, the, obviously, the force on force is a skill-based environment, but it's not a skill that would be like in a traditional shooting stage environment. Yeah. Right? Like Right? So, Like uh, the video for the force and force on in range comes out next week. Like, so Fagan and I went up against each other and Fagan, you could talk to this more, but like, I I admit this. Fagan's a better shooter than I am. I can keep him on his toes on some things, but he is better than me. But on the force on force, that wasn't as relevant, was it?
4: Uh, No. And you've done a lot more like things like paintball and force on force training than I have ever. I think it's probably been... 16 years since I've done a force on force class. And that was like how to like fight muggers and, and robbers not like running around through the woods kind of thing. Uh, So like we're, we're in the, we're in this wooded environment. And as soon as the, the start signal went off, I lost track where Carl was. I was actually seeing one of the ROs dressed in woodland camo thinking it was him uh, firing at that. And then I'm, I'm hiding behind a tree and I start getting near miss near miss and I peek out to look where, where it's coming from, which Bang. is the wrong thing to do, and then he just, he, uh, yeah. he got me like immediately, uh, and it's it's interesting, the environment, like I, Carl wasn't even specifically wearing camouflage for the environment and like 50 yards away he looked like a tree stump like I I couldn't fully it's, see or it's discern hard to who, see who in he was woods.
2: it's hard yeah. to see, yeah, in the I woods was wearing in the green and black, jumble. I had a
0: like um, I ha- I have I really enjoy, I like Russian Gorkas I just think they're really cool, practical field gear. And, of course, I got that well before all the current events going on in Europe. Um, is that, wait, is that, so, wait, hold
2: on. Pause. Isn't that funny that you have to qualify that? <laughs> that, like, <laughs> that like, Well, I, I, mean, like I, this... right.
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, I hear you. It's like I wouldn't want to necessarily like, hey, let me wear this like, Russian gear right now. It's just kind of a, not the best look. But the, the, I got the Gorka stuff like 10 years ago, and I really like it. It's really practical, good stuff. And so it was green and black. Which was not exactly camouflage, but in that environment, it must be. It's good enough. And this is one I hear people when you hear people talking about, like, "Oh, I can hit a, I can hit a man-sized target a thousand yards." Uh, you can on a thousand-yard known distance range while being told the distance in completely a like perfect environment. Yeah, that's possible. But like when you're in the field and in the forest, you can lose a person in ten yards. Like they disappear, like magic. Yeah. And so this is why you see intermediate cartridges in the. You know, the why combat turned into the realization was the most engagement with rifles are like 100 yards or in. Because when you don't want to be seen in the field past 100 yards, you know what? You're probably not going to be seen. And that includes the desert.
4: Yeah. and One one thing I realized after doing this scenario was my order of priorities was wrong. I was thinking in my head, oh, I want to kill the other guy as top priority. And the reality is top priority should have been don't get shot second priority capture the flag third priority would be kill the other guy if possible um and i think if i had went into it with that mindset but i'm thinking of going into this about like match mindset of neutralize the targets right where this scenario is more about don't get killed so you don't get that plus 60 second penalty and um If I think if I did it again, I would change my mindset going into it to reprioritize what's most important, because, you know, in in reality, not getting killed is more important than killing the other guy. Right. Yeah.
2: Don't get killed or by extension, don't even get seen. Right. So that's interesting. So in that regard, this stage that we're talking about, this one stage of the match, like
0: listening to you, Russell. That was like, a, it was a legitimate learning experience, which is great, right? That's the whole point.
4: It, it also emphasized to me how ill prepared I am for any sort of shit hit the fan scenario beyond like defending my house or defending my business in an urban environment. Oh, dude, you're not supposed to say that on the Internet. You're supposed to say <laughs> that you're
0: prepared for everything and that you could take on a flock of geese like unarmed. Well, oh, so I, I, can do I can do
4: that. I've done that before. Oh, but... uh, know. <laughs> but... You know, have you ever seen those things
0: on the internet where they interview like random dudes on the street and they're like, could you fight a bear? And like 80% of these dudes are like, yeah, totally. Like, Just no, punch no, a bear in the wrong. face.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> At least
2: once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would, you, yeah. would you rather fight five 20-year-olds or 25-year-olds?
3: <laughs> right. 25-year-olds <laughs> 20, no, I mean, for sure. This,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. this, this kind of stuff like puts Just, you back in the Like that one force on force thing really puts perspective back on things, which is like, once you go do it, mm, that's a way different game than when you're just thinking about it at home in your rocking chair.
3: Well, and I heard one of the one shepherd guys talking about how, uh, their, their biggest, um, criticism, not, not of the stage itself was that because it was one versus one, it was, they were going by quit pretty quickly. And they were talking about maybe doing like, uh, like a team force on force. Like squad v squad or like splitting a squad in half and doing doing like a team based thing next th- year.
4: That that is our plan for next year is to do uh like split a squad in half so it's five versus five. And basically best two out of three uh wins will get the uh bonus for winning and if you lost, you lost, you'll get the penalty. But you'll also get a penalty each iteration that you get killed. So there'll be some individual motivation not to get killed during each of the three um, run throughs, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and, then, and then at the, at, at the match, we're going to, to whichever squad loses, we're going to give them a sock full of soap. And then you can beat up your soap sandwich later, your soup sandwich later that night. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that was actually one of my favorite um, stages. And I'm, I'm super excited for uh, because I did surprisingly well on it. But um, th- I'm super excited for that next year. That's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no, a five on five is going to sound crazy. It's going to sound like you're literally going to hear a staccato of fire. But yeah. now there's a whole nother thing, which is people don't think about this communication, visual hand signals like providing cover. That's going to be part of that. That'll be amazing. We, we'll yeah. see who's
4: really friends when that's over with. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: We do have to design into the stage, though, that for will have to be some sort of penalty because that like, would be co- if we get some like griefer out there, we got to get rid of them,
3: yeah. right? Yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there's that 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 opens up a whole other dynamic that that I'm sure would be interesting to to watch play out.
0: But, well, yeah. But, so I mean, like that's the plan. We can't. We don't. And nothing's guaranteed yet, but that's the plan for next year at this point. Yes. Oh yeah.
3: One and thing that and, I was, and this is
4: definitely something you don't see this at any other competition. Like I, there's in 23 years of action shooting competition, I've never been to another action match where there was a force on force element to it anywhere. Yeah,
3: yeah, it was it was really cool. It was definitely different. Um, I mean, obviously, I have zero experience with this. I've done force on force training with simunition before, but um, was that was I got shot a bunch of times and it's horrible and. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who doesn't enjoy pain. This was yeah. fun. You don't get hurt like when you Miles, get shot.
0: Miles Gear doesn't hurt anything but your
3: ego.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it <Yeah>. should hurt.
3: <laughs> One thing that I noticed about this this place was I, you know, I had no idea what to expect going into it. But the location, the range itself, the location was phenomenal. I thought it fit really well with the kind of stages that that you guys were putting on there, and uh, it seemed like the range staff, like the actual staff from the range, was super cool and and excited about it i saw uh, one of the guys driving around a couple times um how did you find this place and like how do you typically source uh so that's, a, that's a good
0: story so shout out first of all the echo valley trading center which is the range that we that we Brutality brutality's at cr is the owner and he's freaking awesome he's been great to us and he's been really like accommodating like hey cr we want to dig a trench he's like okay cool like he's in on it right um And uh, they host a lot of different types of training and matches at Echo Valley. But the reason we found this was actually Les from One Shepherd. I was out at, I think it was one of the Finnish brutalities. I don't remember when, but Les comes to me and he's like, I've got the perfect facility for you to run a brutality match on at. Because I always want, if I can, I would love to have my events in places that have field conditions, not just square ranges. Like, I want to be in the forest or in the open desert or up on a mountain. We can't always do that, but that's my hope. And so Les was like, I've got the perfect place for you. And so Les was the glue between us and one shepherd, which helped with all the miles gear and all that, of course, and some of the match design and stage testing as well as for midnight fatality. But he was also the glue to get us in contact with echo Valley training center. So that's how it happened.
3: That's very cool. It's uh, nice knowing uh, people that, that have resources like that and suggestions like that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean like that, that's, that's, see, this is where the community thing really matters. Like, I, I do believe this sincerely. Like when all is said and done in this world, whatever that means, uh, or things go wrong, resources are one thing, community is worth that. That's what's gonna save your hide. For sure. And it's yeah. also what makes things better. And so, like, less being part of the community and saying, Hey, this is a cool place, or uh, for example, uh the now the pay it forward thing that I'm trying to do with match yes. prize tables where um people like i i donate items from in range so if i bought or got a product to test a review i put it on the prize table and i just like pay it forward to the supporters or the match shooters but we're now seeing community members bringing stuff yeah. to put on the prize table in this like circular cool everybody cool to everybody
2: community event and that's really neat yeah i, want, I wanted to ask you about that before you have to take it, off uh what what in, what inspired that because that's i you know, I mean, I, I've, I've seen prize tables before and, I, and I've seen it done sort of like, you know, it's like a lottery. It's like random. It's not performance based. But uh, I've definitely never seen just like people hosting the match, bringing their own stuff. I've never seen like uh, shooters and, and competitors bringing stuff to share. So what inspired that for, for, I have a little more time than that. I have
0: a little, about, about another half an hour, just so you know. Oh, um, but like, so what, what, inspired, what inspired the pay it forward concept of of, of our prize table that we, do, we did at Woodland and we're going to continue to do forward. Oh, we also did it at Handgun Battalion. That was the first one. Um, was I want the prizes to be, I want the rewards for the community to come from within the community. So like you could... First of all, our prizes are not awarded based on performance. You could win the match, you may get nothing. You could lose the match and walk away with a gun, like that you won through the raffle. Not a raffle. But it is we like we essentially if you shot the event, we random draw someone that's from the event to win the item. And it's like so you just you just by being there, by being there and present, you could win a thingy. And so (laughs) um the reason I wanted to do this is like so commonly and often. And this isn't me trying to denigrate other people. This is like, everyone takes things out of context. Like if you want to go like acquire prizes from vendors and have like banners for sponsorship at your match, have at it. But I don't personally want that. I don't care for that because we have a very diverse and inclusive environment. And I want you to want to be part of this thing, not just to promote your thingamajig, but because you want to be part of the thing. You're part of our community. And so... If you're part of our community, meaning you're there shooting or you want to be there shooting and you want to bring prizes to the pay it forward thing and you're a company, let's say you're a vendor, but you're also there shooting the event or being part of a brutality event, then let me know and we will definitely talk about you know being part of the prize table. You don't, I don't want money from you to be part of the prize table. I don't want you to pay me to put up a banner. I want you to be part of the community and actually be inclusive to the people that are part of our community. I don't want uh, corporation XYZ sponsoring brutality event, and then posting some bigoted stuff next week. Yeah. That's, you're not my sponsor. Yeah. You're not part of my community, but if you're there part of our community and you want to bring stuff to sponsor, the prize table, let's talk, that's pay it forward. That's about us
2: being part within our own environment, trying to do a positive thing for everybody. That's where that comes from. But isn't that better advertising for the, for the company involved anyways? Um, to, well, not- I think,
0: you know, they're legitimate, right? right. You're not, you're
2: not, You know, it's not them like, you know, Pride Week
0: brought to you by Coca-Cola or I don't even know, whoever, like like, like they're legitimately there being part of your world. And that means that it's legitimate.
4: I I can elaborate on this a little bit. Again, I've been sponsoring matches under the various companies I've worked for for over the past two decades. And there is Uh. no ROI on sponsoring matches, like just straight up. Uh, The only reason to sponsor matches is for the love of the sport. Um, and the only advertising benefit I get out of sponsoring matches is being there myself, interacting with the people at the event and generating media content of myself or other people using the products I make. So what I've seen, because I I've and I haven't handled prizes uh just for brutality matches, but handled them for other major events too, is it is not uncommon for companies to donate a bunch of stuff and then Feel a bit jaded or bitter that they didn't get what they thought they were going to get out of doing it. Uh, so by not soliciting sponsors specifically and only accepting prizes from people involved in the community, we had that whole problem off. Um, it was a different story twenty years ago when there was like five or six major matches around the country. Now there's dozens all competing for prizes from you know the same amount of companies and. It's it's just not good long term to, uh, you know, have those soured relationships with businesses because they feel like they they were misled a little bit or they, they didn't get enough out of, you know, donating ten thousand dollars worth of stuff to a prize table.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think it's really cool when you've got the type of situation that that you guys have set up here, because like you said, Carl, and, and you said also Russell, you've got like this. um. No expectation of return, you know, and and you're doing it solely because you believe in something and and want to contribute. And I think that, uh, you know, at least for me personally, and I know obviously other companies feel the same way because they're doing it. uh, I think that really makes you feel, you know, you say there's no return on investment, but I I think that sometimes a return can't be measured in money and and feeling like you're contributing to a community to me is worth it. And I think that that these companies feel the same way that the ones that are involved.
4: (laughs) Yeah, maybe I should be more clear. There's no trackable return on investment, right? What, like, yeah. like, you can't be like, oh, we sponsored this event with $10,000 of the product and we did $50,000 in sales. Like, there's there's no way to track that. What you're, you are doing is building uh, uh, some loyalty over time with the community that you're supporting, right? But you can't track where those sales came from directly.
3: Yeah, exactly. That was, you know, that was something that, You know, I didn't even go into it thinking, you know, I'm going to go and represent a better way to a, I was, I was going to just kind of like hang out with y'all and, and shoot and and meet people there. But the amount of people who came up to me after I told them who I was were, it was, it was actually, it was super humbling because I, I had one person come up to me and say, I, where are you from? I recognize your voice. And I was like, (laughs) that's so weird. (laughs) I had never considered that before, but people listen to this podcast and don't know what my face looks like because we don't air the video. Um, and I was like, holy shit. And then actually being able to meet people and, you know, kind of like show that I wasn't just some internet person and and actually was involved with this was was awesome because it it made me feel like, you know, just as somebody who's been doing this. It made me feel really connected with people who had been, you know, the, 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 on the receiving end of our content and our products and things like that. Um, I felt very connected with, the, with just the, the audience that, that I've been trying to reach for, for so long. And I, I feel like that's an immeasurable benefit um, of, of being part of something like this and being part of this community.
0: So on that note, one other thing that inspired this actually was one of our supporters. Um, and I I this is not solicited. I'm just doing this because I think they do great work. Um, Jane Bird of the Birdpatch.com uh, made a patch design that showed up on our Discord. And it's um some possums with the, with in like yes. little helmets and with little rifles, and the possums are riding on the mama's back, and it says, Mama was a technical. And I yes. thought that patch was so cool that I like reshared it with people. I'm like, this is great. And that's becoming like, I saw that patch on a bunch of our shooters there and I promoted their work because it was just, I just thought it was really cool. That was the only reason. And I got this amazing letter from Jane about how it helped them fix their car. And like, they were able to like be, be, join the match maybe because of the people that bought their patch. And so that was another thing I thought about is like, we have a lot of very cool, creative, amazing people in this brutality and frankly entering supporter community. And like, if this isn't, if if this can be about raising the water level for everybody, that's super dope. And like that happened for Jane and it can, it's happened with other people too, just by accident, by just getting to know people and making friends and community. And so the more we can raise the water level for everybody involved, the better it is for everyone. And that was another part of this. So like, that was an experience where I saw that. I was like, wow, like why not? Like if we can make the world better for everybody, like why can't we try? And that's, that's kind of part of the pay it forward thing too. It's like, you got something that that's you, you think is cool that you've come up with and you want to throw it on the prize table because it promotes you and you're there, why not? Like that's super cool.
2: Yeah, that's so lit, man. Literally I- the coolest. I'm just looking at the birdpatch.com here for the first time, and yeah, that uh, that
0: uh, mama was a technical patch is amazing. But now yeah. there's a whole bunch of them on there, and there's like a bunch that are super. cool. I know.
2: I, I saw. I just went down the list of patches, and I'm like, oh, I want that, but the orders are all closed, so I just had to keep an eye out in the future. Yeah, I think they're in they're in limited runs. I'm
0: not sure. It was like, nah, it's real cool. small, artisanal, cool yeah. tactical patches. That's
2: the That's way like, to do yeah. it, man. You know, so yeah. then you can be like, yeah, I got in on this drop, bro yeah no, totally that's that's true yeah that's Love one it.
3: thing i've never been good at but you know maybe maybe
2: someday well, we, we we have we have add so we miss drops all the time yeah <laughs> it's like tomorrow at five you've got five minutes to get your order in and then it's like seven o'clock and i'm like oh shit damn it i watched but too so much. jane was their part of the match
0: right so the uh, shooting as an ncr character from fallout yes and, oh
3: uh,
2: that was so cool
3: yeah really neat you guys got me in, so I love the Fallout series of games. But us talking about New Vegas for for that, I like, can't believe you never played. Time it, frame of like three hours back at the house. I downloaded it as soon as I got home, and I've been playing it ever since. Oh, it's so good! It's my well, favorite. Well,
0: on that note, Megan, you can talk about this. Well, we uh, this is, I'm going to go ahead and say we're, we're going to promote this a little bit. We have High Desert Brutality coming up in yes. August in Parma, Idaho. And one of our stages has Lead Cloud out there doing like the full like Wastelander experience for the stage. You wanna talk about that a little bit, Fagan?
4: Yeah, so we're I think we're gonna have the first match where there's actually an NPC on the stage that you're gonna uh-huh. interact with as part of part of the stage. Um for for High Desert, we're gonna continue with some of the theming that we we did for Handgun Brutality where the stages are all going to be based around challenges from uh you know action movies or video games uh so at, at high desert we already have stages planned out for uh Red Dawn, uh Black Hawk Down, um Silent Scope, um Operation Wolf, um uh, and and a few others too. So I, I we're really looking forward to that event. It's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be the uh the first um well oh, actually, we did this at high desert or at desert brutality 2021 but this is to, I think the, the first real execution of incorporating dmR slash precision rifles into a brutality match. We experimented with it at the uh, the 2021 uh, desert brutality, but uh, I think this time we're going to have a better full integration of those into the match
0: yeah, so you, so on on the promotional side, if you're interested, you can find the match at brutalitymatches.org. But on top of that, so this is another community thing. Like, Led Cloud was out at one of our events and 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 a, a small group of his autumn-packed wasteland uh, community and um, they are been at other events too, but like, they don't just, that's not LARPing, they live it. They're freaking awesome. Like, these people are the real thing. And <laughs> So we're like, hey, you want to be part of one of the stages out there that's going to be like full wastelanded out? And like, so that's another community thing. Like, we have like Lead Cloud and part of the Autumn Pact out there doing this, and it's going to be like that's such a fun experience
3: when the when a stage has that kind of stuff going on in it. Can you explain real quick what Lead Cloud is because I've never heard of them?
0: Okay, so Lead Cloud is the guy that's his alias but he runs a group called the Autumn Pact, and they run what is their weekend? It's like there's like this wasteland weekend,
4: I believe. Like it's it's like essentially Fallout slash Mad Max kind of LARPing, and they set up like whole like towns and like villages and. like a simulated you know compound that yeah they've got so
0: wasteland weekend's one of them but the one that they run in arizona i I can't remember the name right now it's like something springs uranium springs they run a uranium springs event and you can essentially it's a, a a festival of people that are essentially larping the wasteland fallout world like like hardcore though like like legit and um and um, they have, they had at the last one, they just had it. They had like a thousand yard shoot out there, but, like who was the best Wastelander. And um, they're out there in their group and they've got like gas masks on and distressed gear and like rifles that are cobbled together like you'd see in Fallout and then shoot really well with them. Wow. <laughs> like, like you'll watch them shooting, like, wow. And um, so um, that sort of a, a, a really cool group. You can find them on Facebook called the Autumn Pact and Lead Cloud is the alias of. Um, I don't I, I think he I don't know if I want to say he runs it, but he's definitely one of the prominent members. And um I apologize, Led Cloud, if you run it, but whatever, it's still like free promotion here. Um, but you, he's gonna be with him and some of his group at High Desert, and so you're gonna have you're gonna have like it's gonna be a fallout game in a stage, pretty much. And when I say legit, like their stuff is legit. Um he submitted a video. What year was it, Fagan for in-range? For remote Brutality, the, the last
4: time we did Remote Brutality. Oh, my.
0: Yeah, it was Remote Brutality. Um, the video was absolutely insane. It looked like some Hollywood-level production about Fallout. It was insane.
3: That's sick. i did not have to it, look that up. Yeah, for sure. That's like a whole different level that I was completely unaware of and even more the reason to come out to these, these things. Excuse me.
0: Yeah. So that's a, there's another community thing, right? We mentioned Jane bird and the patches and now we got autumn Pact and lead cloud out there doing wasteland stuff and like bringing everybody together. It just, it's super cool. Yeah. And,
4: and we, we just Absolutely. mentioned this briefly. We have a new remote brutality going on very simple stage yes, I saw that. that anyone can run that has a 50 yard range or a 50 yard chunk in the desert or in the woods or whatever, single target. And it's all about how many hits you can get in 60 seconds. Uh, Every, every entry recorded and submitted will be uh, put into the pool to be randomly drawn for prizes. Uh, some to be donated by sponsors, but we are going to be uh, giving away a free entry for High Desert Brutality as part of that.
2: Sick. That's awesome.
3: Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late-night recording sessions. Now, you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you, but what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast, not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com/slash a better way to a in the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now that's all for that. Back to the show.
2: Now you know, I and I so I I did see that right when you posted it, and I'm looking for venues. Um and I'm gonna ask you this question because I want to know, but also maybe some other people might be curious. Um, I'm having trouble finding a place that has both a fifty yard range that uh, that has a fifty yard range that is uh, or bay that is also ten yards wide. um and I'm pretty sure I can get a twenty five yard bay um with enough uh, enough lateral movement space or a or if not that, at least a fifty foot bay. <laughs> um what's the math i have to do on targets
4: uh like so, like
2: you know h- how flexible are you guys so if, on that if you're
4: going shorter just use a smaller target so if you're doing it at 25 yards use a, a mini ipsic instead of a full-size ipsic target
0: should we put out a stage okay. should we put out a thing fagan saying that if you want to reduce it you could just like change the change it to an a zone at 25
4: so yeah or, i mean you can also buy the mini ipsic cardboards too so
1: <laughs> yeah
4: yeah so I think that would probably be the, the thing to do. And other people like going harder with the target presentation, like one guy already said, it's like, I only have like 40 meters or something and not, not 50 yards. Can I just use a mini Epsic instead? I'm like, yeah, going smaller on the target's fine. So.
3: Okay. That's cool. That's, that's nice that you guys have that kind of flexibility. I mean, to be
4: honest, the goal is to provide a, a
0: skeleton of what the stage should be so that everyone's competing in something similar. But like, if you got to change right. a little bit based on the constraints of your environment, we're not going to like throw your submission. I, out. I think we already. Had,
4: I think we already had someone, for example, that couldn't run side to side of their rifle, so they like set it down and ran, like up range, and then ran back down and grabbed their rifle again, kind of thing. Yeah. So like, so
1: oh so, yeah. So be
0: flexible with it. Like, we understand that not everyone has like these types of facilities. So I would say look at the design for the remote fatality stage. And adhere to the spirit of it. How's that? And if you do, then you're in. Like that's that's it's not it doesn't that's that's acceptable. Sick,
3: rad. I like it a lot. Love that. Yeah, that's this is the first year I've actually I've I've heard about the remote brutality, and I was looking at that and, and thought that that's a pretty cool thing to do to hold people over in between matches.
0: Well, no, that allows you to be part of the community if you can't make it to a match. Yeah. I mean, Let's be realistic. We have to run these things and they're not free and they have to be like, we have to cover the range. We have to cover ROs. We have to cover food, lodging, airfare, travel, insurance, like all this stuff. So these things aren't cheap to run and they're not cheap to shoot. So it may not be possible or even regionally viable for you to get to one of these, but the remote brutality hopefully is flexible enough that you can find a way to participate in it wherever you are. Right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. That yeah, was- and we want to we want to keep running these every two to three months so that that people always have something to work on, and uh, we'll rotate through focusing yeah. on different skills. the The one that we're doing currently is kind of focused on being as fast and efficient as possible versus marksmanship. Uh, we've had some people say, "Oh, the shooting the shooting's too easy." Well, if it's too easy, go faster. That's the point of this one.
2: <laughs> yeah, run, dude, sprint. That's cool.
0: Oh, yeah, you know, that, that, cool. that actually goes back to old cowboy shooting. It's like, these targets are super easy. How do you miss them? I was like, well, have you tried to go fast? Well, have, <laughs> have you, you tried seen to go how faster? fast some yeah. of these people are? Yeah. Have you tried to go faster than what you thought was fast? You'd be surprised how quickly you can miss a target five yards away when you draw with your revolver out of your holster. Yeah. I've done it, and it's easy yeah. to do when you're trying to go legitimately <laughs> fast. When you're drag racing, <laughs> I you miss targets that you can't believe you missed.
2: I got a Ruger Vaquero and I was like, I want to do cowboy shooting now. And I was like, Oh, I want to do quick draw. That looks cool. And then I saw the people that do it like casually, not even like professionally, Mm -hmm. just like people that do it for fun. I was like,
3: absolutely
2: insane.
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's ever possible. One of my dreams
0: would be to bring it. I would love. And the problem is the people that have the gear don't want to shoot these kind of matches. And the people that want to shoot these matches don't have the gear, but I love old West guns. And I would love, love to run a cowboy brutality event. Um, but yes. the, yeah. it's just the Venn diagrams don't really cross because oh, we have a lot of shooters that would want to do it, but they don't have uh, a single action army and a lever gun because they just had no reason to ever have one. So I, it's something that I, I uh, if I could ever make that happen, it's something I, I want to do. do something. I want to do it. Lone Star Brutality. Be so on, cool. Yeah, Texas.
3: that would be very cool. Unless you did, you know, something at like uh like a range that could supply that kind of stuff, but. That, you yeah, know. but
0: I mean that gets challenging too. Like, exactly. so, right? But you need then you need you need four 1873
3: Winchesters because
0: two of them broke a lever right. or whatever. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it's like it, it gets challenging. That's yeah. a lot
2: of abuse. Mm-hmm. And then it's like finding the 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 sort of like cowboy fuds that that like that sort of thing, and then convincing them to throw a kettlebell. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> right. No. Totally. So like, cowboy action shooting, just like so many different matches, has evolved
0: and it's changed. Like. I have footage from when Cowboy was going on in the early days of SAS, which was like the 90s and stuff, from a friend of mine, that uh, Kevin, who shoots two-gun and brutality matches. He's a, he's a well-decorated, well-highly-achieved uh, skill set Cowboy shooter. Um, his videos from like the 90s are so different than now. They were like running around and shooting under barricades and shooting from, uh, from a wagon and under a wagon and reloading the rifle on the clock. And now Cowboy has pretty much become dogmatic. You shoot 10 pistol, 10 rifle, 4 shotgun, and you shoot from 3 positions, and you have 6 stages that are nearly identical to one another. And that's fine, but what happened was the spirit of the old Cowboy stuff from the 90s has been lost in the process. So I would love to bring that back, but I'm not sure if it's possible. We'd have to kind of have a new generation of people willing to abuse themselves with old guns.
2: Well, it's, it's, what's important is uh, looking cool and having fun, not getting the, the high school. Well, I mean, Cowboy, you know, Cowboy is an interesting environment where people can go there strictly to dress
0: up and look cool and just shoot and just be like, we don't care about our score. And then there's other people out there that yeah. are absolutely there doing their best to win. And if, that's an environment that's similar in that regard in that it can be there just to goof off, but safely, or it can be there to be like, the truly competitive. And it seems to oddly be able to do both and that's a good thing
4: well I, I think Carl yeah. we're recapturing some of that that energy because you know Cowboy was largely populated by people who grew up in the era of uh, western television and movies being like uh, very much a you know cultural norm right and today mm-hmm. we have essentially people who grew up with 80s and 90s action movies uh, dressing up and, and LARPing and coming to our event Uh, so I, I recall one time I was at Cowtown shooting a two gun action challenge match and the cowboys were out there doing their match at the same time. And they saw me all, you know, decked out in armor and tactical gear. And they're like, what are y'all doing? I'm like, uh, same sport, different century. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of truth to that.
0: Yeah, no, that's not, that's not, not, not false. Like, so for example, at the same match, we have someone out there Being NCR from Fallout, and we have someone else dressed in in, uh, you know like almost perfectly period correct Black Hawk Down incident gear, and so there's that's
4: that's true. True. We had someone dressed up as a Simpsons character. We had the (laughs) the the anime cat maids. Yeah, I saw Um, the (laughs) maids. So did did they
2: did they clean up after you guys? Like were they were they really committed to the uh, to the role? I don't know. Were they actually doing any?
1: I don't know. No, no. I, no, I, I,
4: I, 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 just, I, I don't, don't think they were. That would, have been a fu- Not... that would have been a funny funny skit. Would be like, all right, now, uh, now, yeah. police all the brass.
3: <laughs> oh, man. Bring me some coffee.
2: Hey, and I feel like <laughs> the way you guys describe, uh, high desert brutality, I feel like that would lend itself very well to, like, cowboy gear, I think. You know, like, um, in, in a way, at least. Uh, you know, it reminds actually, me. Actually, of- the
0: one we got coming up. We haven't. This isn't on the website yet, but we do have CQB brutality oh. planned for oh. Utah in November, and that one actually lends itself because of the stage design and the distances of the targets, um, lends itself the best we've ever had to being able to be viable to really? use old west gear. Um, so that one, I'm, I think, Fagan. We've talked about this. We're going to put like a potential cowboy division there, Pretty right? Cool.
4: Yeah, or at least a category. So for for that match for CQB brutality, we're going to have a, a PCC division. We're going to have a pump shotgun division where yes. you have your your shotgun and uh, a pistol that complies with our uh, service pistol rules. Uh, we'll have an auto shotgun division uh, with with also a pistol. We'll have a rifle and pistol division, and we'll have a a three gun division. I'm going to call three goon where <laughs> three goon. you get yeah where you get to uh, pick which long gun you use, depending on the stage. You don't get to use all three on one stage, but you can pick between using your rifle or shotgun along with your pistol uh, based on the particular stage you're shooting. Oh, I dig and that.
0: W- hey, all I got to say is, go ahead. There's a reason There's a reason the Maverick 88 that James Reeves sent me, now yes. has been Van Compton, has a Red Dot fight on it. Let's just man, say. Man, I had
3: all my vacation oh, days planned and, out and for we- the year, and you guys are – Seriously, fucking that up because I'm, <laughs> I'm, gonna have to take a, I'm gonna have to go to one of these at least.
4: We, we we will be doing the caliber based hit requirements for that event as well, where it's probably going to be like one shotgun slug or three rifle or five handgun on on targets.
2: Oh no, buckshot!
4: Oh bu- Oh no, a oh, buck buckshot! Buckshot on a close target would be the same thing as like shooting at five shots with a handgun, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is an example of something that you haven't seen much in brutality, but it's something I developed in the two gun action challenge match environment, which is we have it. We I designed a whole scoring system around shotguns that was you haven't seen in brutality yet. And you will see at CQB, and it takes the shotgun out of like so. Shotgun at three gun is like no offense, it's, it's a reloading dumb, yeah. competition, and and um, offense. uh offense. Our our stages our my our shotgun scoring metric. Completely fixes that because the way it works is the slug counts for X amount of hits Which is like essentially a single neutralization with the slug but the so many pellets on the target count for like a neutralization if you're using buckshot and um, If you're using a shotgun and have a sidearm like a pistol you shoot the shotgun until it's dry And then you get the option do you reload your shotgun or do you transition with the empty shotgun to your pistol? Guess what? Much more real world and it gets rid of this reloading nonsense.
3: I think that makes it significantly more accessible to so many other people, to be honest. Like that that's something that you know, obviously reloading a shotgun is a is a niche skill that the people who do three gun matches get can get very good at. Um
2: Well, okay, so there's there's reloading a shotgun and there's reloading a shotgun. Yes, right? no, you need to know so how like, to reload I've a taken shotgun. shotgun, shotgun but classes and And the way that they approach it is very different from the like high speed competition kind of gamey way of reloading a shotgun
4: so so two two things are going to uh limit the reloading techniques that people use at uh c u b brutality. One is that our match rules require you cannot reconfigure your load bearing equipment during the match. so if you're using those load two and load four caddies. They have to stay on you the whole time, and good luck going prone with those on. Um, You're probably going to break them. Uh, And and that's the difference you'll see at three gun. Is people will reconfigure their belt for the particular stage they're shooting. You cannot do that at our events. The next is uh, we are going to have magazine tube length restrictions, so that um,
2: no wizards magazines.
4: Yeah, it becomes becomes less beneficial to be able to to shove four rounds in as fast as you can because you don't have the tube space for it necessarily. Um, so we're gonna be following back the old SOF rules of you can't have a magazine tube longer than twenty-one inches or a magazine that holds more than ten shells. However oh. that works out. Okay. So if you're using a detachable magazine, you can't have more than ten shells in it. You have a of a fixed tube, whether it's length or the capacity. Total, you can't have more than 10 shells in it. Okay.
0: Yeah, but the whole thing that you can transition or decide to reload makes that much more yeah. practical and real. I uh, believe. Yeah, right. Like, So if you were like really going into the real world, air quote, and breaching a building and you had a shotgun and you got eight rounds of like flight control in that thing, well, yeah, you've got a street howitzer until you run dry. And if the fight's still going on, whichever, however that could be, that would be quite a fight. But let's say it is. Do you really just like stand behind a wall and stick shells well, nothing? Or you well, that, just drop that, was gonna that be, thing and go to your was pistol? was going to be right? my next questions yeah. because
2: the way I was taught was like if you're if you're moving, you're feeding the shotgun, right?
0: Oh yeah, no, just like you were with a lever right. gun, but like that's not always yeah, practical. Sure. And eventually, if something's intense enough, you're going to run dry eventually, even if yeah, you for run
2: sure, like you know, because I, I might my, my my short barrel eight seventy, which is what I would use at that competition. You know, it's, it's for, it's got a, it's got a plus one extension. So it's got five in the magazine. And then I've got, I think the side saddle carries five, you know, that's, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's a lot of lead, but that's not a lot of shots. Oh yeah. So if you're running from
0: position to a to position B at CQP brutality, you should be shoving shells into that too. I'm not, you you don't have to not yeah, okay. do that. But like when the gun runs, goes click at that point, make your yeah. call. Do you like stand behind a wall and reload or do you just, sling that thing and pistol it up like that's that to me is what i mean by more
1: realistic
4: yeah and the ability to transition like that also makes nfa shotguns like you're talking about uh more practical to use because you're not you're not hindering yourself so substantially uh by only having you know four plus one or five plus one of the gun
2: yeah because you're not gonna let people just ditch their guns
0: so this is a funny thing that where the competition world and reality don't intersect well, and this is why I want to, like, we should be, able, hopefully, or make, like, making that better and fixing that in this environment because there's a reason short barrel shotguns exist. There's a reason these things, like, there's these things for real world reasons have purpose. And if real world guns are completely unusable in your match, it just doesn't appeal to me. That match to me means that it's, like, specially designed for special gear. And I'm much more interested in the practical application of practical firearms. So, like, if your shotgun can't compete at this event, something's wrong with your shotgun. Not something, There's not something wrong with the match to me.
2: You know, I don't want to yuck anyone's yums. You know, if you or the other way around, there's something wrong with the match. Nothing wrong with your shotgun. And and this this is actually one of the
4: factors why we've seen two gun growing across the country. Is everyone has a double stack nine millimeter pistol? Everyone has an AR fifteen with a red dot on it. Um. And those can be relatively competitive in limited division three gun. But your home defense 870 or Mossberg 590 with a side saddle is completely not competitive in the same competition environment uh, where those other two guns are. So it's the same. That's why we've seen two gun become so popular is people don't have the right gun to just compete with with regards to shotgun. where. Their normal home defense or SHTF gear can easily be used in a two gun competition. And I think by realigning uh, our stage design and division rules uh, and match rules to make the shotgun more practical, it will allow people to show up with that home defense 870 or 590, be relatively competitive with it, uh, and learn a lot about running it under uh, some degree of stress.
0: Yeah, no, totally agree. So, like, you know, in the old West, the shotgun was called the street howitzer. It was the fight stopper. And frankly, even law enforcement can, like, I know we've transitioned mostly to AR-15s, but it wasn't that long ago that every cruiser yeah. had a shotgun, well, in it, right? With slug or yeah. buckshot. And there's still application for that. And so I, this is where I feel like competition has done the sometimes a disservice in that um, stage design and rules that made it so that people hate the shotgun and think it's this impractical thing but it's not the shotgun is still an incredibly effective weapon, right? It really is.
4: And for certain people that, in different States, yeah. like, like the shotgun is the most practical gun they can own and not be really hindered with a bunch of goofy restrictions yeah. on. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And and let's be real. Like, you know, if you've got $300 to spare, please send your barrel to vancom. Please get it done. It's, it's <laughs> so fucking good. It's you're not going to, we're going to have it. a video about
0: that. But I mean, like, like if you like if you need a if you need a a self defense weapon and you don't have a lot of money, we did this with the video already like
2: you can get a maverick eighty eight for two hundred dollars like $200. Dude, people were so like, fucking triggered i and i don't i don't i'm sorry i shouldn't i shouldn't misuse that word people were so ass mad it's about so much seeing better a budget <laughs> yeah so a, a fucking maverick sent yeah and you sent the barrel to to and they're like Oh, the barrel costs more than the gun now, and I'm like, so what? It's fucking good. It's it's so fucking yeah. good. You know, if you if but even unmodified, like
0: that gun. I mean, it's a Maverick Eco. Obviously, you know, it's it's a budget gun, so make sure yours runs. But once you've gone through it a little bit, and make sure you you got a good one. Which for the most part, I they're all good. There's a few exceptions here and there. You've got a legitimate, like, fight-stopping firearm in your hands, like a shotgun with buckshot and slugs. That's a devastating yeah. weapon. Like, oh, yeah. it's two hundred dollars. Like, I mean, so in, in that or a high point, I'll go with the Maverick yeah, Eight. Sure.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People. People got. People made fun of me for my eight seventy SBS too because you know it's like a, a you know it's it's an older. It's an older Remington, and at the time, you know, the, these kinds of guns were going for like two or three hundred bucks, and then you know, I paid the two hundred dollar tax stamp on top of that. And they're like, "Why didn't you just get a Benelli? Why didn't you just get something fancier if you're already if you're going to go NFA?" This is
3: one of those things that I'm like, I. Why are you on my nuts? Yeah, I used to shit talk guys who would run like. I I grew up as like a car guy, and I and I. Specifically, like classic cars and things like that, and I used to shit talk these dudes who would buy like a Honda Civic and then put like thirty grand worth of performance equipment into it because I'd be like, "Well, why didn't you just buy a fifty yeah, thousand like dollars? You know, car and stuff like yeah. that." And it's, it's, I think it's very similar because you know, part of part of doing it is is like making what you what you have into something that you want, not like over the course of time, not not just going out and spending the money. And you wanted an sure, SBS yeah. eight seventy. And then, like you know, you you spending the two hundred dollars extra to have it as an SBS is is only like for that purpose. You know, it's not because you wanted a Benelli, and and, and I think a, a lot of that is is uh, you know, people people just kind of different strokes for different folks. And
0: well, what yes. about if your budget isn't there right. either? Like like you can afford a two hundred dollar Mav yes. eighty eight now, and then a year later you can afford a Vancom. Right, job. and then a year later you can avoid you can afford putting a site on right. that thing like there's like not everybody can go buy the the, the 200 the 2500 ready to go out of the box finale but like some people have to budget over life and time and if they want to make it where they want it to be there's nothing wrong with that like that's cool and that's 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 a, that's an
3: option yeah for sure
0: yes so. So on a side note, I've got just about 10 more minutes. So if we want to wipe, like r- wrap up my part, we can do that here. And then just, I'm just warning you now. And I'm you'll edit this, but like, just so we don't yeah, like fine. cut short, like hard. Yeah. Let's yeah, wrap okay. it up, dude. Well, you don't have to wrap up with Fagan. If you want to do more with, you know, stuff private with him about That's me. Let's shit
1: Carl Yeah.
2: Carl Batman. Yeah, Carl's
1: Carl's Batman. Yeah. yeah. Who is the real Carl?
3: <laughs> I actually, we have a, we have a graduation it party is. to go to at one my time, um, you know, colonial Settler time. He's he's up against it too. But,
2: uh, you know, the actual time time zone that the
3: world runs on, you nerd. Colonizer Just just call it colonizer (laughs)
2: time. (laughs) Fuck you. Hey, New New England. England. Come
3: come and eat our shellfish. I don't know. Anyway, red lobster.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: go get (laughs) get yourself
0: some red lobster and not talk about the King Philip's War. (laughs)
2: okay so i i do i do, <laughs> do want to know um for woodland brutality in specific but also generally how many um because this is an in-range uh affiliated event how many like in-range staff or volunteers do you use and how many people from the outside do you have to hire
4: so generally so we have it's based on the number of stages so we'll have at least one RO per stage for daytime events. For the nighttime events, we have three uh, per squad/slash per stage. Um, and then also for daytime events, we have um, at least one like floating fix-it guy to like run around and handle target breakages as they occur. And then, of course, there's, you know, uh, me, uh, Allie, my admin assistant, and, uh, and Carl you know, handling, you know, overall, uh, direction of things. So, so this can, then we'll, like our ROS can either come from like the, the local host facility or the surrounding area, or we have a, a dedicated crew of people that go to a lot of these around the country and will travel to attend them.
2: Uh, do you-
0: and I can't say enough good things about our dedicated AR crew. First of all, I think volunteer is wonderful and thankful to everyone. But like, and it's not entirely volunteer. Like our dedicated AR crew for Midnight Fatality, like there were, there's, there's, there's perks, let's put it that way. Like lodging. Right. right. I try to make sure they're coming out, like their food is addressed and like try to make it so that it's like, it's not just, I mean, it is volunteer, but there's, there's, there's um, benefits to that. Like, make to it easier that. for them so, to get there at least. Well, yeah, like I, I try to make sure that like they're like every day they don't have to worry about what like eating, like the food's yeah. covered, the lodgings covered, like, you know, things that make it hopefully feel like a vacation versus just dedicating your time yeah. to something. It's a little of both. Yeah.
4: And the other thing I'll say is, like, for example, with Woodland, um, the local two gun club uh, from Fairfax, a couple of their key people mm. showed up and helped us run. And we have an arrangement with them now where like we need steel targets for the event they let us use their steel targets and we're buying more steel targets. They get to keep and use in between us being out there for our events. So weird. It's community again, isn't it? Like they help us, we
0: help
2: them. It's all mutual beneficial. Uh, Yeah, that's awesome. So, so it can, it can kind of balloon in complexity depending on the stages, but in in general, the, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got people that are willing to come out there and, 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 and help out you know, either either for free or, or for, for you know, like like lodging and food.
0: Yeah, no, there's definitely, it's not like, there's some, like, if you're, like, sometimes there are people that are just local, and they just come donate their time because they just want to be part That's of amazing. it, or, or they get, like, a free entry to the event, or, like, there's things that, there's perks that come with that, and then the dedicated R group who kind of, kind of, uh, they kind of the grateful right dead crew. around with us at all these different events across the, the country, they typically, you know, like, we have, like, a giant cool airbnb that we rent that everybody gets together in and there's like we have fun at night get together and have dinner together and like goof off and it's it's kind of a social event too. Awesome. um so yeah but like so but like for midnight brutality the night match we had to really really double down on that we had to really put add extra ro's and we had one shepherd there with radios and doing roing because that's such a you know, potentially yeah, risky yeah. environment to run safely so that's an example of a relatively small match in the grand scheme of actual numbers and attendance. And we just have a lot of ROs at that one. Yeah. There was,
4: there was two ROs dedicated to each stage. And we had a uh, essentially a squad leader with a radio assigned to each squad to direct them and do head counts, moving between stages um, and, and doing constant roll calls and making sure people were staying in the area they were supposed to stay in was the biggest thing for running a, a safe nighttime event. Yeah, you don't want to find out that Bob's downrange playing peekaboo on <laughs> yeah. the target, right? Yeah. No
2: bueno. You might never You might not find out till morning. Oh, uh,
0: right. Not <laughs> bad.
2: We had eight. Why do we have seven now? Not you good. Know, yeah. I haven't done R-check. like a lot of competitions, and I've never run one. But the impression that I get is that these are not typically for-profit endeavors. Um, usually, competitions are put on by people who want to compete usually, uh, competitors are not expecting like a payout or a big prize. Right. I mean, you know, uh, this, this whole, this whole thing, you know, it, it's, it's not, um, you know, th- there's like branding involved. Right. But, but, you know, you, you, would, you wouldn't really ever expect like brutality to be something that like makes anybody money. Right. Well, I mean,
0: it has to be to some degree. So Fagan has a regular job working for, you know, with, with K.E., And he takes off a week or more to go, like, help be the match director. And so, Fagan, you could talk to that, but, like, this has to be profitable enough that it, like, compensates you for what you would have lost working at your normal job. Right. So, I
4: mean, I I do draw a salary from from running these events because there is, if I total up my, my, my labor for each one of these events, plus, like, actually going to it, there's about two to three and a half weeks of total hours involved with any one of them with the, the, the pre-match administration stuff and coordination and, you know, actually going out and running them. Um, so uh, I'm not in a financial position where I, I can do this as a, uh, just for, for the passion of the, of the sport. Um, and I mean, also to be fair, the, you know, running these events does allow InRange itself to uh, finance and do different things, including uh, buying equipment, uh, you know whether it's targets recording equipment or guns and ammunition to keep the channel going and it's it's part of Carl's overall strategy of uh diversification of revenue streams
0: that's absolutely true and so for example like the woodland brutality i have a bunch of new episodes coming out with Annette Evans of on her own and so um being able to get there and pay for the like the airfare to get there and not lose money doing that meant that i now had an opportunity to film with um someone that's been a co-host on the channel remotely but now in person
2: yeah
0: like that kind of stuff lends itself to that as well so um this is priced so that we don't lose money on it and we're able to compensate the people involved to some degree because otherwise yeah, you it doesn't need that. Work. um some of the match environments in the world like expect the match directors and ro's to not only be there of their own free will and volunteer but to lose yeah. money doing it i personally i don't think that's a good idea i think that's a terrible yeah. idea and i think part of the reason we see some of the comp- competitive environment run the way it does is because of that thinking. And that's why you see prize tables become the glorious thing that they are because the only possible compensation for your time and effort is that you might get a cool thing off the prize table. And that for therefore that becomes the Holy grail of the event. And it's kind of poison. Uh, this Four is keys. also,
4: this <laughs> is also why a lot of big events that were successful attendance wise suddenly stop happening. I could, I could think of a number of them in the past 20 years that, everyone's like that was a great event and then it just disappeared well the people that were running it uh were not only uh not getting paid to do it they weren't making it. they 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 were losing money doing it between you know their own gas and paying for hotels and everything else then that's not a sustainable model that that can work for a little while but it it doesn't work long term
3: no absolutely not you have to take care of yeah. your people no, otherwise they're not going to be there for a, a long
2: time yeah,
3: burnout's real. You, you know, people have bills in your assets, Yeah, Absolutely,
4: man.
2: for yeah. sure. Yeah, people accuse Carl of being a, a communist, but he's the one out here trying to fucking pay people for doing work. <laughs> <laughs> it's
4: uh, it, it's it's actually kind of an ironic thing in the in the gun industry and gun community as a whole is that everyone's a capitalist until it comes time to uh pay people for running events like this.
2: Everybody wants to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster shit. Well, it's just not it's just not viable. What
0: happens is like an RO or a match director will like you said, the match will runs and then it disappears. It's like honestly, after eight years of losing money running the event and doing it all on their own, they're like, I'm done with this shit, and they just walk away from it. And uh that's not it's not a productive it's not a productive model. The other thing is a lot of ranges just expect to this is uh this is getting into like somewhat controversial spicy realm but like a lot of ranges expect to take all the money from the event and all the people volunteering and doing their thing they don't even get their freaking food compensated like they're like come volunteer for us run this event go buy your own food lodging and travel and then we take the money it's like what the hell that's like far as i can tell that's called grifting no. and that's not and, cool and you know
2: either. it's it's li- liability um is a big part of, of events like this, I would think. And so like, I understand like if you're, if you're carrying a lot of the risk, you know, I I understand being feeling entitled to uh, a a little bit of the money. Right. But even so, you know, you you do still have to kind of spread it around to the people that are literally making it possible.
0: Oh, so let me, I'll just say this without getting too deep into the budgets. I mean, if you look at the numbers, like you pay this, (laughs) have <laughs> we paid up to like five thousand
4: dollars for Portageons before or something yes yes
0: yeah so wow. like the amount of money that just bleeds to run the event is astonishing i sit there i look at this and i'm like holy crap how did we land up with a hundred dollars or whatever left because i'm not even kidding it's like like port insurance range um you know lodging Shirt, airfare, shirts patches etc shirts patches i'm mean, this isn't complaining it's just the main nature yeah. of running the event like it looks when everyone signed up you're like holy crap that's a lot of money and then at the end you're like hey let's go buy coffee <laughs> for the ro's i'm not even kidding the amount of money that goes out is amazing um so it comes in and then it just bleeds out rapidly and it's astonishing but like these things are not cheap to run at all
4: yeah. well, one of the things i do as ke arms for our ro's as well is uh, essentially. Sell anything they want to them at distributor cost, so that there's there's a pretty good perk to being one of our ROs, and that like whether it's they want K Arms product or they want like an optic through one of the distributors we can purchase through, I'll just you know sell it to them at essentially cost. That's awesome.
3: That's a that's a huge perk that people don't realize. Mm, Definitely, uh, definitely a a a plus to to working with you guys. Definitely, definitely, definitely. definitely. Um,
2: all right, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. We got two people that uh, need to. Yeah, get sorry, her off I hear to my
3: baby is awake right now, and I just it sounds like my wife is pacing upstairs, and I know she's ch- frantically <laughs> the trying the to get Jonathan? ready. <laughs> um,
2: is she like purposefully stomping? She's just, really she just hard walking to, like, in a circle you? directly
3: above my office right now. <laughs> um, Carl Russell, okay. this uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. This I I had a fantastic time with you guys at Woodland Brutality and. Always have a fantastic time talking to y'all. Do you have anything else that you would like to add either about in range, the brutality matches, things that you have coming up or,
2: or just a cool little thing
3: that's on your mind.
0: Actually, what I want to add is about you guys. I'm thankful for what you guys are doing. You're putting out a voice into the community that is sorely needed and watching um, an inclusive, a truly inclusive new community form, and you being part of that and being out here and doing that is something that I like. I'm like, yes, this is it. This is what we need. Like, more and more people coming together and singing a better, more, um, kind, inclusive song together to make a better world is like, that's what I want to see. And like, you being there and coming to join us and having this podcast, I that, that's what I want to That you means for the a, a
3: ton coming from you, and,
2: and I mean. <clears throat>
1: am i no
3: seriously i it is that is uh i know andrew's andrew's gonna cry as soon as he turns off the camera but that that does mean a ton <laughs> it's hard to go against the,
0: the, the it's hard to go against the stream but the stream needs to be swung we need people to swim upstream right now and like the more of us doing it the easier it'll get for everybody and the better it'll get and so y'all joining
3: this this chorus is like awesome thank you I'm man thankful, no. so that is you. uh much appreciated and
2: we're here to stay so well i will say not to turn around on you, um, I have been largely inspired by you and Enrange TV, um, if I haven't said that before, in my in my approach to uh, inclusiveness in the gun community.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that's that's a good thing to hear, of course. And uh, the more of us doing this, the more we're going to inspire other people to do that too, right? There's a lot of people out there, I think, that are... are, are um, uh, fear is not the word, but out of concern or just becomes who knows what they're dealing with but like it's hard to speak up and um, and sometimes dangerous to speak up and I think we have a lot of people out there that aren't quite able to do that yet but the more of us that do the more people can and the more Absolutely. people can the more we get better
3: the revolutionary Hell belief well, listen we don't we, we don't care dense. if
4: you're we, we don't care if you're weird as long as you're safe and you want to have a good time you're welcome at our events I love it oh yeah and I'm super uh, funny I prefer weirdness <laughs> also come on yeah also jordan i have to say I, I was impressed you were much less cringe in person than i was expecting <laughs>
1: that's awesome that's high i think <laughs>
3: yeah i really appreciate that man and uh a lot of it was just you guys making me feel comfortable because most of my cringy shit comes out when i'm uncomfortable and say things i shouldn't say so um it, <laughs> hats off hats off to all of you for for making a truly welcoming and inclusive environment that uh you know, makes people feel feel comfortable enough to not be cringe. And if they are being cringe then doing so on purpose.
4: <laughs> right. Exactly. In- intentional
3: exactly. cringe is different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We are
2: post irony. I'm living in the absolute earnestness phase of my life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, same, I think.